welcome back to The Wire Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McCrary, and today we are going to return to talking about the NBA playoffs. A lot has happened since I last recorded the podcast. Uh, Round one is now officially over. We're getting into round two. Um, So I'm going to talk about a little bit about the Hawks, uh, because I'm a Hawks fan. Um, so I'm going to talk about the Hawks beating the Knicks and then winning game one against Philly. Um, and, then, and then I'm going to talk about, uh, give a little bit of a recap of some, some things happened at the end of round one. Like the Clippers, they beat the Mavs yesterday in game seven. I also want to talk about the Suns beating the Lakers. Um, I also want to talk about the Julio Jones situation because he just officially got traded yesterday. Uh, and then to end the pod, I'm going to be talking about two movies that I've seen recently. One is A Quiet Place 2, and the second one is The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, two horror movies that I've seen recently and want to talk about those. But without further ado, let's get into the Hawks and just the incredible run they're on in the playoffs. Um, They defeated the Knicks in five games in the first round, um, and they really dominated the Knicks. They lost one game. Um, the game one, um, their game one victory was closed, but for the rest of the series, after the first two games, they won pretty convincingly. Um, Trey was awesome this series, especially in game five. He scored, uh, 36 points, although it was pretty inefficient, uh, but he did become the second player to score 30 plus points in three straight games at the Garden since Michael Jordan, and that's as uh, as the opposing team, as a visiting team, um, so that's cool. Um, for the series, he averaged 30.8 points, 2.9 rebounds, and 10.35 assists per 75 possessions on 57% true shooting. Um, that's really, really good. Um, the efficiency isn't like elite or anything, but that's still really good. Um, he had an assist rate of 52.6% for the series. That's unreal. Um, that's incredible. His passing was unbelievable this series. Um, he had a box plus minus of 9.3. If you don't know what box plus minus is, it's a one number metric from basketballreference.com. Um, that basically is a, it's a, a box score measurement of a player's impact. Uh, per 100 possessions. Basically, how many points does a player contribute to their team per 100 possessions? Um, he also had a net rating of 10. Um, and net rating is basically the difference between uh, their offensive rating and, and their defensive rating. Um, Trey was awesome. He bought out and proved that he could drive winning in the playoffs as the primary initiator. Um, and, and that was great. I think that's what everybody wanted to see from him. And he did that. And what makes it really impressive is that Trey Young um, is around six feet tall, maybe six one, like really skinny, like between 160 and 175. Um, and players like that usually struggle in the playoffs because, you know, defenses get really tight in the playoffs. Um, and they, players of size tend to be defensive liabilities. Now, while Trey, while Trey is a defensive liability, um, he hasn't been exposed yet for that in the playoffs, at least not to like, n- not at a high level. Um, I don't think he's been great defensively, but teams aren't going at him consistently and playing him off the floor, which is good. Um, and, and he's still scoring efficiently, um, and, and his team is winning, and, and it, it's so impressive for him that at his size, um, he's able to do this without a second star on his team. 
Um, I like John Collins. I like Clint Capella. I like Bogdan Bogdanovich, but none of those guys are stars. Um, and and they're really good, like secondary players. Like, like I think all of those guys would be good number three options. But as your number two, I don't love it um, if any of those guys are playing that role on your team. So shout out to Trey Young. He's been awesome. Now Bogdan Bogdanovich was awesome this series as well. Um, he was inefficient. I think he had a true shooting percentage of around 51% for the series, uh, but he still played well on both ends of the floor. He was really good defensively. He hit some big shots against the Knicks, and he kind of took the load off of Trey. Like, Trey has the ball in his hands a lot, um, but Bogey does a good job handling the ball um, and running the offense and just get, giving Trey some breathing room. Um, so he doesn't feel um, the burden too much. Um, but Mogi was awesome. Um, Clint Capella, he was really good in Game 5. Um, and his defense was was pretty good the whole series. He averaged like 2.5 blocks per game. That was awesome. Uh, Kevin Herter, he was great as a shooter coming off the bench. Played really well. Now, John Collins. I like Collins. Don't love him. I've, I've said for a while that he is overrated. And he was very disappointing in this series. Um, and now I'm starting to question, how much money is he going to get in free agency? Because he averaged 16.2 points, 8 rebounds, and .8 assists per 75 possessions in this series. Did have good efficiency, but those numbers are worse than, than his regular season numbers. So he got worse in the playoffs. Didn't have a very big impact in this series. Um, and, and his defense wasn't good. Um, and you're looking at him, what he provides, like, he's a poor defender, he's not a very good playmaker, and he doesn't provide, he's not, like, an elite floor spacer. Um, and for a big, that's concerning. When you're not a good defender, you're not a good passer, um, and you don't space the floor all that well, um, that worries me. Those are some red flags. And he is a good shooter. Like, he, he shoots around, around 40% from three, but on low volume. And volume matters a lot with spacing. Um, so I actually have a metric, um, that measures spacing. Um, let's see who, let's see where John Collins lands in this metric. Um, I believe he'll be listed as a power forward. Let's see. Um, so the first Atlanta player is Danilo Gallinari. Then, I think Collins is low on this list. Let's see. There's Solomon Hill. Let's see, I'm having a hard time finding him. Hmm. Nathan Knight. He should be up here higher. I'm having, I'm having a hard time finding him. Maybe I'm tripping. Okay, no, he's at 40, 46. Or, four, yeah, 46. And let's see where the, where, uh, the metric is. <clears throat> Uh, spacing. Sorry, I'm having a hard time finding this. Um, alright. So, he's around average in terms of spacing in the league, according to this metric. Um, and that's concerning with his skill set. Because, like I mentioned, he's, he's not a good defender, uh, doesn't provide a lot of playmaking. Um, and, and according to this, he's just average in terms of spacing. That, that's, that, that's really concerning. So, I don't know how much money he's going to get in free agency, 
if it gets paid max money, that's a terrible contract. You're not going to get, uh, like, there's just no value in that contract. Um, I like Collins. He's a great dude. This I have nothing against him personally. This is just my opinion on him as a basketball player. I don't think he's worth a lot of money. I think in the long run, you're going to get more value out of Onyeka Okongwu because Onyeka is a, uh, he's a versatile defender who can guard defend in space. He's switchable. Um, and I think he'll be able to grab rebounds. I think, I just think what he provides defensively, um, will make him a more value, valuable player down the line than John Collins. Um, and, and, and I know that he hasn't shown a lot up to this point. I thought he was good in the play. I think he's been really good in the playoffs so far, but he hasn't played a lot because he's playing behind Capella and Collins. But I'm projecting him to be a very good defender and, I'm also taking into account what I thought of him as a prospect coming into the draft. I think Onyeka is going to be a stud. Um, and I would just roll with Onyeka rather than paying John Collins $20 million. I wouldn't pay John Collins $20 million. $20 million. You can find other bigs who, who will provide more value than John Collins. Um, like him, but I'm just being real here. Next up, I want to talk about Julius Randle. He was awful this series. Um, terrible. He averaged 19.2 points, 12.4 rebounds, and 4.3 assists per 75 possessions. Um, these numbers don't look terrible, um, but let's look at his efficiency. He had a true shooting percentage of 42.5%. <laughs> That's really bad. Uh, and, and all his numbers, like the, the counting stats, are worse than, than his regular season numbers. Um, he got worse in the playoffs. His efficiency dropped off. Um, and, and his true shooting gives him a, l- a little bit more credit because of his, his free throw shooting. He has an effective field goal percentage, percentage of 35.6% for the series. And effective field goal percentage takes into account, uh, it doesn't take into account uh, free throws. It just takes into account two pointers and threes. And it gives uh, three-pointers more value because, you know, threes are worth more than twos. He also had a turnover percentage or a turnover rate of 17.8%. Um, not, like, absolutely awful, but not great. And he had a BPM for the series of negative three and a half, um, which is, at one point, I think after the first round um, was, like, one of the worst out of, any, out of any qualifying player in the playoffs. So he was not very good in the first round. Um, I think what was really concerning with him was his indecisiveness with the ball in his hands, along with his poor shot selection. I mean, there were times where he was taking, like, super uh, contested step-back jumpers. Um, it, it was just rough to see him play. Um, just very bad shot selection. Um, poor poor processing speed. Indecisiveness, like I said. just He just didn't play well in this series at all. Uh, RJ Barrett struggled as well. Now, one bright spot for the Knicks was Derrick Rose. He was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, he averaged 21 points, 4.4 rebounds, and 5.5 assists per 75 possessions on 55.1% true shooting. Um, His playmaking, combined with his ability to get to the rim, made him, in my opinion, the best offensive player for the Knicks in this series. Now, I think defensively, um, he was a bit rough, but offensively, he was excellent. Um, so there's, that's one bright spot for the Knicks in this series. Um, shout out to the Knicks though. They had an excellent season. Um, they over, overperformed, made the playoffs. They did a lot of great things this year. So shout out to them. Shout out to Julius Randle, who's going to win most improved player, 
I'm going to win the Most Improved Player of the Year award. Shout out to R.J. Barrett, who played well. They had a great season. Um, they were awesome in the regular season. It just didn't work out in the playoffs. But I just want to give them a shout out for, for what they did this season. Because they did a lot of good things. Now, I want to talk about the Hawks beating the 76ers in Game 1 of the semifinals. Because this was crazy. I I thought heading into this series that the 76ers were going to beat the Hawks. Because the 76ers have more talent. Um, they match up really, really well with us because they have a lot of tall, long defenders like Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Matisse Thibel. They have a very good team that's really good defensively, um, and they have the personnel to make life really difficult for Trey Young. Um, but in Game 1, the Hawks won 128-124, to and Trey Young was awesome. He had 35 points, 2 rebounds, and 10 assists on 64.9% true shooting. Um, he was awesome in the first half. Second half, he kind of cooled down a bit. Uh, Philly's defense did a lot better in the second half guarding him. But he was really good. And the Hawks were dominating the 76ers in the, in the first half. But in the second half, things got rough. Um, specifically the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, they started pressing us. They started trapping Trey Young. And when they trapped Trey Young, our offense just went brain dead. We couldn't operate. We were turning the ball over, uh, making really bad passes. Um, when the, the ball wasn't moving quickly. It was just a rough fourth quarter, and we almost blew the game. Now, luckily, we were able to finish off the 76ers late in the game, thanks to, like, a, a really big shot from Bogey. Um, and, you know, we were up by so much that it, it was really difficult for the 76ers to get back into the game. Um, but we made some big plays. I want to talk about the alley-oop that Trey Young had uh, to seal the game at the end. There was a play where he dribbled up the court, and the 76ers were pressing. He got the ball... Um, on a pass from, I think Herder passing to him, I can't remember specifically what happened, but he was dribbling, and I think he did a behind-the-back move, and Danny Green reached in, and I think that Trey Young thought he got fouled, so he like threw, so he went up to throw, throw up a shot to try to get three free throws, but the refs didn't blow the whistle, and he realized this, so while he was in the air, he was at half court, and he decided you know what, screw it, I'm just going to throw an alley-oop to Collins and, and see what we can do here. Well, the thing was, John Collins was standing next to Joel Embiid. And if you're going to, you know, what you want in that situation, um, you're probably not looking to throw a half-court alley-oop to John Collins um, over Joel Embiid. That's probably the last thing you want to do in that situation. But hey, that's what we did. And Collins went up and just dunked all over Joel Embiid. It was a crazy play. I couldn't believe it. I was losing my mind when it happened. It was an insane play. I can't believe Trey Young attempted that, and I can't believe it worked. Um, that was an unreal play. Um, it was wild. But shout out to the 76ers. They played extremely well in the second half, um, although they did lose. I think one of my biggest um, problems with the 76ers were their coaching decisions. Doc Rivers made some really poor choices, like playing all bench lineups when the Hawks did the same. Like When the Hawks were running all bench lineups, I don't know why Doc didn't keep some of his starters in to counter that. 
Um, and I don't understand why he didn't put Ben Simmons on Trey Young to start the game. Now, I don't know if that was a decision made purely by Doc Rivers. I don't know if Ben Simmons had anything to do with that. I don't know, but I'm, I'm assuming that that's a coaching decision. Um, they did end up putting Ben Simmons on Trey Young in the second half. Um, but in the first half, they had Danny Green on him. And Danny Green just could not handle his quickness, his first step. Um, Trey Young was just too much for Danny Green to handle. And it killed the 76ers. I mean, that was one of the reasons why they were down by like 25 points in the first half. Um, I think they were, they were down 20 points at halftime. And it was because Trey Young was getting anything he wanted. Um, the, the 76ers were playing drop coverage, and Trey Young was just destroying it. Um, Joel and B just didn't really know what to do in drop coverage, and Trey Young was getting everything he wanted, even when he was attacking the rim. Um, but Ben Simmons, he played well in this game. He had 17 points, 4 rebounds, 10 assists, 4 steals, and 1 block. Um, that was awesome. He also had a true shooting percentage of 74.6%. He made every single shot he took from the field, but he shot like 3 of 10 from the free throw line. So that's why his true, his true shooting percentage um, is what it is, or was what it was. And then Joel Embiid, he was playing in this game with a torn meniscus, but it didn't look like it. I mean, he took Clint Capella to school. He dominated him. He dropped 39 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, had 1 steal, and 3 blocks, um, with a true shooting percentage of 70.7%. He was awesome, hitting mid-range shots, hitting threes, uh, scoring down low. He was just unreal in this game. Um, he was awesome. The 76ers, they have to take better care of the ball moving forward, and they also need to pressure the Haw Hawks' offense for all 48 minutes, not just the final quarter. If they do that moving forward, I think they'll win this series. Um, but I was impressed by the way the Hawks played, um, especially Trey Young. Trey Young was just unreal. He continues to light it up in the playoffs. And I'll be, I'll be, I'm just super excited to continue watching the series and see what adjustments both teams make as we head into Game 2. Now, let's talk about the Clippers beating the Mavericks in seven games. This was an incredible series. Luka Doncic uh, went off in Game 7 yesterday. He had 46 points, 7 rebounds, and 14 assists on 66% true shooting. But it wasn't enough. They ended up losing. Um, one reason why was because their bench wasn't very good. They didn't get a lot of production from their bench. And, and Kawhi Leonard was awesome in Game 7. He had 28 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists. And added 4 steals and 1 block on 77.4% um, true shooting. Um, he was also amazing in Game 6. Uh, where, where, where he almost scored 50 points. That was an incredible performance by him. I think one of the most surprising performances in Game 7 was from Marcus Morris, um, who scored 23 points on 76.7% from shooting. He was great in that final game. What an amazing series for Luka Doncic. As a 22-year-old, he averaged 35.7 points, 7.9 rebounds, and 10.3 um, assists per game, with a true shooting percentage of 57.2%. That's just absolutely amazing, especially for a guy his age. That's unreal. He just, like, a 22-year-old should just, they just shouldn't be able to do this. Um, he's been unbelievable. And I'm probably going to end up making a video about Luka Doncic at some point, probably in the offseason, 
But I legitimately believe that he is arguably the best offensive player in the league right now. I really do think that. I have another hot take. I'm going to save, save that for that video that I'm going to make. Um, but just, I think Luka Doncic is simply amazing. And one of the best players in the league. He's a stud. And although he's gotten bounced out of the first round in the last two seasons, I think he's going to win a bunch of titles. I think he's going to win a bunch of MVPs. Um, I, I'm fully confident in that. I, I have no concerns about Luka Doncic whatsoever. He's going to be, he's going to drive winning at a high level um, moving forward in his career. If the Mavericks can just get a second star to put alongside him, um, the Mavericks are going to be awesome someday. Now, I want to talk about Kristaps Porzingis, who was very bad in this series. He averaged 13.1 points and 5.4 rebounds per game with a true shooting percentage around 57%. Now, the issue I have with KP is that he's over 7 feet tall, but he plays like a spot-up shooter. He doesn't get a lot of rebounds. Um, he doesn't score down low. He's not a very good defender at all. I'd say he's a, a, a below-average defender at this point. And all he does is shoot threes. And you're looking at him like he's not a super efficient scorer. Um, he's not a high-level scorer. And he's not, a very, he's, he's not a good rebounder. And he's not a very good defender. So what is he doing? I just don't understand the way... I don't really get his play style now. What he's turned into is someone that isn't worth what he's getting paid right now. And he's not a star-level player. And probably will never be a star at any point in his career moving forward because, like I said, he's a, a glorified spot-up shooter now. And it sucks to see what he's regressed to, but but that's the truth. Um, it's just really disappointing to see Kristaps Porzingis become just a spot-up shooter now because at one point, he had a lot of potential and it looked like he was going to be a star in the NBA, but that just isn't the case anymore. I want to give props to Ty Lue, who did a great job making adjustments and changing his lineups throughout the series. Um, you know, he ended up benching uh, Pat Patrick Beverly at one point, uh, along with Zubak. Um, and then he like, ended up playing Reggie Jackson. He ended up starting, I think, the final two games. Um, he also... Uh, started playing Luke Kennard at the end of the series. And because in Luke Kennard, he was getting DMPs at the beginning of the series. Um, but he played him in the final two games. And Kennard played pretty well. He was not bad at all. So shout out to Ty Lue making some adjustments. He was really good in this series. Um, especially as it progressed. Now, I also want to give props to Paul George, who had a pretty good series. Um, only averaged 23.6 points, um, a little bit low for him, but he had nine rebound, averaged 9 rebounds and 5.7 assists per game, and he had a true shooting percentage of 59.4%. Not a bad series for him, um, played pretty well, uh, but shout out to the Clippers, they clawed back in this series, ended up winning. I think they have a legitimate shot to make the finals now. Um, this was a tough series for them. But now they're playing the Jazz. They'll likely have to play the Suns at some point. Um, I'm thinking who are, the Suns are playing the Nuggets. Maybe they'll have to play the Nuggets. But I think they have a shot to make the finals now. So shout out to them. Now let's move on. Talk about the Lakers uh, losing to the Suns in six games. Um, this was a wild series that will be defined by the final two games. Where the Suns just absolutely destroyed the Lakers. They were dominant in the final two games. Um, in game six, the Suns won 115-85. to And in game seven, 
They won 113-100. to Devin Booker was incredible in this series, averaging 29.7 points, 6.2 rebounds, and 5 assists on 62.6% true shooting. He was incredible, um, just unbelievable. And like Trey Young, he showed that he could drive winning as the best player. And I, for one, am really impressed by what I've seen from him in the playoffs. DeAndre Ayton also played well. He averaged 15.8 points, 10.7 rebounds, and 0.7 assists on 77.8% true shooting. Um, I feel like he's become kind of an afterthought when we discuss um, players from the 2018 draft. I know he was the number one overall pick and has been a little bit underwhelming, but he's played really well in the playoffs, and I'm really proud of him. He's been awesome so far in this year's playoffs. Now, I have to talk about LeBron and AD. Both of these players were simply really disappointing. They were both pretty bad. LeBron James averaged 23.3 points, 7.2 rebounds, and 8 assists on 56.4% true shooting. And Anthony Davis averaged 17.4 points, 6.6 rebounds, and 2.6 assists on 54.1% true shooting while dealing with an injury. Um, man, what a bad series from those two. I get AD was dealing with an injury um, towards the end of the series, but LeBron James, he just was not very good in this series. Um, those numbers aren't terrible, but he wasn't particularly efficient uh, considering his play style. Um, and there were times where his body language was just awful. There was one game in the series where he left the bench and went to the locker room with five minutes left in the game. I think that was game six. Um, I get being upset that your team is, is losing by a lot, but you can't leave the bench with five minutes left in the game. You've got to sit it out. Um, I mean, I, I would understand it if you left with like 30 seconds left in the game, but he left with like five minutes left. That That's ridiculous. Like, come on, dude. I'm not a big LeBron James critic. Um, I'm not a LeBron James fan by any means. Um, I'm just not, like, I'm not a LeBron hater. But that's ridiculous, dude. You got to stick on the bench. You're the leader of this team, and, and you're struggling a bit. And when you're struggling, you got to be able to fight through those difficult times. You got to stay on the bench in that situation. You cannot leave a game with five minutes left um, in the game. That's just crazy. That's ridiculous. Um, but I, I feel bad for AD because he did get injured later in the series. Um, but he had some moments where he just wasn't very good. Um, and his per-game numbers weren't great in this series. So, uh, both of the Lakers stars were disappointing in this series. Um, and, and I think the Suns look like a serious threat to represent the fin- the West in the finals. They were awesome in this series. Um, they got some great games from um, Cameron Payne, um, Jay Crowder. Um, they looked super, super good in this series. Chris Paul didn't play well. Um, that's mainly because he suffered an injury in game one. Um, so a lot of people might talk about the Lakers injuries, but hey, you know, we got to be fair and talk about Chris Paul's injury um, because he was, he just wasn't very productive in the series due to his shoulder injury. Um, so shout out to the Suns. Big win for them. I was surprised that they were able to come out with a victory in round one. I thought the Lakers were going to win this series because they do have more talent at the top of their roster. Uh, but the, the Suns came out, and in those final two games, they just dominated the Lakers 
and I was very impressed. I'm going to take a break for a minute, um, and then I'll return to this podcast, but I will see y'all in a minute. All right, I'm back. Now let's get into the Julio Jones trade. So yesterday, Sunday, uh, June 6th, Julio Jones was traded to the Tennessee Titans by the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I'm a Falcons fan, but I really like this move. So the Atlanta Falcons traded Julio Jones in, a, in, a, in next year's um, six-round pick to the Tennessee Titans for a second-round pick this year and a fourth-round pick next year. Um, and, and you might be thinking, well, why, why did they only get a second-round pick? Uh, for Julio Jones, or a second and a fourth. Like, why didn't they get a first-round pick? Well, um, if they did get a first-round pick in any trade for Julio Jones, they were go- the Atlanta Falcons were going to have were going to have to pay um, all of Julio Jones' contract. Now, in this trade, since they took since they only got a second-round pick and a fourth-round pick, the uh, the Tennessee Titans are gonna are gonna pay. Um, all of Julio Jones' contract, or, or what remains of his contract. Now, the Atlanta Falcons will have to pay dead cap for this season, which will end up being $7.75 million. Uh, but the fact that they got his contract off the books for the next couple of years, that's huge for this team. And they also got a second-round pick. I value second-round picks a lot. I think second-round picks are really, really valuable. But I thought this was a very good trade by the Atlanta Falcons. It was obvious that Julio Jones didn't want to be here. I don't have any hard feelings for Julio Jones not wanting to be here. I get it. Um, he wants to win, and this team just simply isn't in a position to do that. Um, and, and, and I understand why Falcons fans were upset with what he did, going on Undisputed and saying that he that he was basically that he didn't want to be here. I didn't. This is a business. At the end of the day, I get that this is entertainment for us fans, but it's a business at the end of the day. You got to do what's best for you. And I understand why Julio Jones did what he did. Um, I thought this was a great trade for both sides. The Atlanta Falcons, um, they no longer have to pay him a lot of money moving forward. This helps us out with our salary cap situation. We also get a second round pick and a fourth round pick. And for the Tennessee Titans, their offense just got a whole lot better. Uh, they lost uh, Corey Davis in the offseason to free agency. Um, and this is a big upgrade over him. Now you've got A.J. Brown. you got Julio Jones. you got Derrick Henry. Um, you're going to have to find someone to produce at the tight end position. But that's a really good um, and explosive offense. Um, so shout out to the Tennessee Titans for getting a deal done. Um, I like what they did here. Um, it sucks that the Falcons lost Julio Jones. Uh, he's one of our one of the greatest players in the history of our franchise. But we had to do what we had to do. Um, it sucks that our salary cap situ- situation was this bad. But like I said, you got to do what you got to do. Um, it sucks, but yeah, we had to do we had to do this. We had to get this deal done. Um, and now I I don't know what our plan is. Um, I. Now that we traded Julio Jones, it kind of makes our pick of Kyle Pitts a little bit um, confusing because you you would have thought that if we were planning on trading Julio Jones, um, you'd think that we weren't planning on competing right away. And if we're not trying to be competitive right now, why not take a quarterback plan for the future? Because you had a a really good prospect, in my opinion, um, in Justin Fields at number four. And you could have taken Justin Fields 
Um, and he would have sat on the bench for at least a year, most likely. But then you could have played him next year. I know, I know you would have had Matt Ryan's contract. Um, like he would have been, you would have been paying Matt Ryan a lot of money to sit on the bench. But maybe, maybe you would have been able to trade him a year from now. I don't know. This whole the Falcon situation just sucks all around. They're a dumpster fire right now. Um, but this this Julio Jones trade really makes you question what the Falcons are doing right now because. Um, the Kyle Pitts um, selection kind of makes you think they're, they're wanting to be competitive this year, but this trade doesn't. Um, so I just hope that they didn't like any of the quarterbacks because if they did, I don't really understand why they didn't draft the quarterbacks if they were planning on moving Julio Jones. That's just my thoughts. Um, but yeah, so that's that's Julio Jones trade. Uh, I thought it was a good deal for both teams. I think both, both teams... Um, are improved. I think their situations are improved moving forward as a result of this trade. Now let's get into the movies I've seen recently, A Quiet Place 2 and The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. I want to start out with A Quiet Place 2. Now this is a sequel in the in a, in the a Quiet Place um, sequel um, or series and I really liked A Quiet Place, the first movie. Um, I thought it was really good. I thought John Krasinski did a great job with it. His performance was really good. And if you don't know what A Quiet Place is, A Quiet Place is basically a, a movie. Um, this world is basically a, a post-apocalyptic world where there are, are these creatures. And hey, I, I, I need to go ahead and let you know there will be spoilers in this. So if you haven't seen these movies... Stop listening immediately because I'm going to spoil it. And I uh, and if if I spoil the movie for you, I warned you. So I'm not going to feel sorry for you moving forward. Now let's continue. So this is um, this world is basically is a, is a post-apocalyptic world where where there are um, these creatures that have taken over the planet, and these creatures they can't see you. But they can hear you. They have really good hearing. And if you make any noise at all, they're going to kill you. That's basically the premise of these movies. So there's this family. Um, they're trying to survive, um, dealing with the situation. Um, and they do this by being super quiet um, and using sign language. Um, they, have like a, they have a deaf daughter. And the deaf daughter is actually played by an actress who is deaf in real life. So that's really impressive. Um, and in the first movie, John Krasinski is basically the dad of the family, the husband, um, um, and he ends up dying at the end of the film. And it's real, in this great act of, um, of of true love, where where he show a, a big part of the first movie, uh, a big subplot is the fact that his daughter doesn't think he loves her, um, at, that he loves her as much as like her brother because she, I, I think she is. Um, if I remember correctly, she's a big reason why her little brother dies. In the, in the first movie, we see that her that her little brother dies because um, he had a he had a, a spaceship toy, and it ends up making a lot of noise at some point. It ends up turning on, um, and it ends up making it makes a lot of noise. And one of the creatures kills him. And the reason why he had the toy in the first place is because the girl gave him the toy, and she feels guilty about it. And because of her little brother's death, she feels like her dad doesn't love her. But in the end of the movie, her dad sacrifices himself for for his two kids, and he may, and he tells them like before he dies, he, he signs, "I love you." 
Um, and it was a great ending, and I think it was one of the best parts in the movie. Um, and I, I love that subplot. Now, in the second movie, in the second movie is basically a continuation of the first movie. At the beginning, we get um, it shows us it's a flashback. It shows us how the alien or how the creatures got to our planet, um, and it's an introduction to the story. Um, and, and then, and then for the rest of the movie, it's, uh, the rest of the movie is a continuation from the first film, shows us what happens from that point moving forward, um, the, in the beginning of the film, the family, which is, um, the wife, um, or the mother of the two kids, um, John Krasinski's character is no longer there, he's dead, but you have, uh, the mother, then you have the two kids, and you have a newborn baby. Now, in the first movie, um, they, they had a child, um, and they actually gave birth in the first movie. That was a huge part of the movie. Giving birth to a baby, um, in this situation is ridiculously difficult because, you know, when you give birth to a child, the baby cries. And so the baby's crying and you're trying to deal with that while also dealing with these creatures that have sensitive hearing and will kill you if they hear loud noises. Um, so that was a big part of it. Now in the second movie, you know, they have the newborn baby, the two older children, and the mother. Um, and they end up finding, they see a fire that somebody, somebody had, and so they realize that there are other people that are alive in this area. So they go try to find them, um, and they meet this guy played by Cillian Murphy, who is also in Peaky Blinders, who was a, a friend of theirs prior to all this mess. Um, and you meet him at the beginning of the movie in the flashback. They meet him, um, and, you know, they're asking for his help. They're like, we, we need your help. Please help us. And he's like, no. And she's like, please. She says his name is like, we need help. And, and you, you know that she knows who he is. Um, he ends up helping them. And for the, the rest of the movie, um, they end up trying to find, there's like a radio signal um, and the little daughter that's deaf, she she finds out that there is an island that is sending out a signal using a song. So she, along with Celia Murphy's character, goes out to find it. Um, they end up finding it, um, but the creatures they in, in, the creatures find this island. The reason why the, the people on the island are able to live normally, and the reason why is because these creatures can't swim, um, and and because they can't swim, they can't get to this island. But at some point, one of the, the aliens or the creatures, they get on a boat, um, and the boat travels to this island, so the island is compromised. And the movie ends with um, the little girl um, and, and Celia Murphy's character. They're in this place where there's a radio station, and she puts um, her um, hearing device, her hearing aid, up to a microphone, turns it on full volume, and it makes a super loud noise. Um, that, you know, that hurts the creature's ears, um, and, and it immobilizes them. She ends up killing it, um, and then the, the son and his mother and the newborn child are back, um, at Celia Murphy's character's home where he's been staying, and there's a creature trying to kill them, um, but the kid realizes what his little sister was doing, so he turns up the radio that they have up to full volume, and the sound that is emitting from the radio station is, is, you know, hurting the creature that was trying to kill them. He ends up shooting them, and it was a really cool, um, scene here, because a big part of this movie is, 
and the kids kind of carry on, carrying, uh, carrying on their dad's legacy. And at the end of the movie, they both killed these creatures. Um, and and I just liked how a big a big focus in the mo- in the first movie was their dad and the and the kids' relationship with their father. And the second movie focuses on the kids and how they move forward carrying on their father's legacy i thought this was an excellent scene i think the second movie was better than the first i thought there was there were more emotional moments like there's a moment where Cillian murphy's character is standing on the island by himself uh reminiscing on what he had with his family he gets emotional um and then y- you look at you know, the final scene, like I talked about, I thought that was an incredible moment. Also, the scene where um, uh, Emily Blunt's character is, like, talking, begging Cillian Murphy's character to help them out, that scene is really good. Um, I thought the acting in this movie was great. I thought the writing was good. I thought it was scary. Um, the, you get a you get a, a better look at the creatures in this movie. Um, I thought there were some really good scenes, especially in the beginning and the flashback. Um, there's a scene where Emily Blunt's driving a car and she has to go in reverse because there is a bus heading right towards her. That scene is awesome. Um, there were some great, great camera shots. The cinematography was great. Um, just an awesome movie in my opinion. Um, I think the ending was odd. Um, I think the ending will look better if there's a third movie. And I've heard that there is going to be a third movie um, in the series, which will be great. I, I, I am dying for a third movie. I think these films are super underrated. They're really good. John Krasinski has done such a good job with these films. His writing is awesome. You get emotional moments. You get scary moments. You get, you know, the intensity is really good. These move these movies are just awesome. Cillian Murphy does a good job. His character is good in the second film. And pretty much everyone does a great job in these films. They're just so good. And I re- I recommend you see them if you have not. Now let's move on to The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. I'm a big fan of The Conjuring films. This is the third installment of this series. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't love it. Now, everyone that I saw the movie with really liked it. They're like, this movie was awesome. I loved it. And I'm like, I didn't like it that much. I thought it was fine. It's not a bad movie at all. Um, It's fine. But it's the worst out of the three. And I think there are legitimate issues with this film. Now, The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It is about a family whose son, like the youngest, um, they have a young son, and he is possessed by a demon. And at the beginning of the movie, the beginning of the movie starts off with the exorcism of this child. Um, and I just want to point out the exorcism scenes in this movie are crazy good. Um, they're scary. Um, they're just awesome. Um, so those are probably the best part of the movie. The exorcism scenes are great. And then um, they're having a hard time um, with this exorcism. So the the young the um, they have this man there who is dating the young boy's sister. He takes the kid and is like, "Take me." He's talking to the demon possession child. And he's like, "Take me, come into me." And so the demon does. He he goes out of the young boy, possesses the the guy whose name's Arnie in the movie, um, and and that's really what the movie's about. Arnie's possession. Um, later on in the film, Arnie, who is possessed by this demon kills a man um and he's on trial 
for it. And the and the people Ed and Lorraine, they're the peop, they're basically the S and the experts on demons and possession. They're trying to prove that Ar- what Arnie did was not him. That he was possessed by a demon, and that's and that the demon possession made him murder this man. Um, so they're trying to prove it. But the movie isn't really about the trial. The trial is like a subplot in the movie. It's weird. I thought the movie was going to be specifically about the trial and about them trying to prove that Arnie was possessed. But the trial like isn't really brought up all that much. The trial is like five minutes of the movie. Really. Like, I'm not kidding. The movie isn't what I expected it to be. So they end up looking at this... Um, this case in, in around the area where people are being um, cursed by this lady. That's basically what the movie is about. There's this lady who's cursing people um, because really no reason. Uh, she made a deal with the demon uh, to get a soul, to provide a soul for him for, I don't remember why, I don't know why. Like there's a scene where they're talking to this priest who ends up being the father of the woman who's cursing all these people, and he knows what she's doing. And Ed and Lorraine are talking to him about um, these little devices that are used to curse people, um, and they ask him why he targets, he's tar- why she's targeting this family, and the man legitimately says why she's doing it is irrelevant. Literally, I'm not kidding. This is, he literally tells them that the, that her motivation to doing this to their family is irrelevant. That's terrible writing, okay? Now, I'm not a movie critic. I'm not an expert on movies. But when that, when he said that, I was like, okay, this movie is not very good. And I will say the director that directed the first two move, movies in this trilogy didn't direct the third movie. The director of the third movie was a different director. And that makes sense because there are some things in this movie that are huge flaws and don't make any sense at all. So the movie is, the trailer of the movie makes it seem like this film is going to be focusing solely on the trial. And although that is a part of the movie, really what Ed and Lorraine, what the movie focuses on is Ed and Lorraine trying to like they're looking at all these other cases that have nothing to do with Arnie's case it really focuses on this curse that is put on the family the movie doesn't really focus on the trial that much at all and at the end after they find after Ed and Lorraine find out that this woman has been cursing this family and they break the curse um, you know Arnie goes on trial because he's been in this prison sitting there for a minute um, and he almost commits suicide due to this curse, because the lady is, cur- the curse basically, um, like, the demon that's possessing him is telling him to kill himself, um, so he, he almost does that, but when they break the curse, um, he's no longer possessed, he goes on trial, and you see none of the trial at all, you literally, at the end of the movie, there's, like, a writing there, like, it just, on the screen, it basically, they tell you in writing that um, in real life, this dude got five years in prison, or he, he went to jail for five years for the crime, but it doesn't, like, show you any part of the trial, really, at all. It just, like, it, it's a weird movie. I didn't like it. I think the exorcism scenes are cool. I think there are parts of the movie that are scary, um, but I think, I guess, 
One of my biggest issues is that the Conjuring movies rely heavily on jump scares, and the scares in this movie are super predictable. Um, there are some flaws in the, in the movie's plot, like um, the Arnie's uh, lawyer doesn't really want to take on the case because, um, or she doesn't want to, um, she doesn't want to take on the case and she doesn't want to argue that Arnie was possessed when he did this. And she's like, she tells Ed Lorraine, she's like, you will have to prove to me that basically that demons exist for me to take on this case and to argue it from this point. Um, and Ed and Lorraine are like, all right, sure, we'll do that. And I thought we were going to get a scene where they show her everything they've done up to this point in the movies. They don't. They just go right into the trial and we're expected um, to believe that now Arnie's lawyer believes this. Okay, whatever. I can move past this. Then there's a scene where Lorraine and, Lorraine and Ed are in this forest with this cop who was working on another case where um, the girl was cursed by the same woman um, that was cursing the, uh, um, the, um, I, I forgot what the family's name is, but basically Arnie's family. And so they're in this forest and Lorraine has the power to look back and kind of go into the situation. So this woman named Jessica and her friend were in the forest and Jessica was possessed by a devil. She ends up killing her friend, stabbing her 22 times, which is how this demon kills people. He stabs everyone 22 times. And Lorraine um, basically solves this case for this cop using her powers. Um, and she does it by learning that Jessica stabbed her friend and then went over this cliff and was in the water. And after this happens, the cop literally tells him, he's like, he tells him that they've searched the water three times and never found her. So you're telling me that Lorraine all of a sudden figures this out, that she's in the water, tells the cop that... She went into the water, and within a few hours, they found the body. Really? Okay. That doesn't make a lot of sense. There's just a lot of flaws in this movie. Um, I wish it was a bit longer, so they could, like, dive into some scenes, add some scenes that would make the movie better. I wanted, I wanted to see more of the courtroom scenes. I wanted to see more of the trial. I think they should have showed us Ed and Lorraine proving that demons exist to Arnie's lawyer. That would have been interesting. I thought the movie was okay for a horror movie, but it doesn't live up to the first two movies in this trilogy. Um, there were some big issues with the plot, in my opinion. I had some issues, um, but, you know, I will say, um, the people that I saw this movie with, they liked it a lot. So maybe you will too, um, but those are my thoughts on this movie. And that's all I have for today for this, for this podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it, and I will see you all next time. Peace.